Hi, everyone. This is Doug, the host of Chalk Talk. I am here with Coach Brez on our last episode prior to our summer break. We are going to take a pause. We've made it all the way to episode 79, and we're super excited to get going. Brez, you have traveled far and wide on these podcast journey, huh? Yeah, it's been uh, been a lot of fun. Uh, looking forward to a little bit of a break, but I'm already excited about what we're going to think about talking uh, through next fall. Absolutely. So we're going to kick this one off. This is Chalk Talk presented by Platform. Let's go. All right. As I mentioned at the front end of the show, we are super excited to have one more EDU style podcast before we take a little summer break. And what better way to leave off these types of podcasts with Coach Brez than talking about coming back? That's return to play, um, and that is something that's kind of top of mind with everyone right now. So what we're talking about today is going to be about schools getting back into the weight room, back into maybe some sort of training. There's a lot of different ways that people are talking about return to play, state by state, giving different guidelines and all of these different things. The two major questions that are sort of circulating around this topic, or as I've seen them, are sort of questions about the appropriate way of kind of easing people back in really physically, meaning that there are probably a lot of kids that haven't been uh, in weight rooms and touching all the different barbells, dumbbells, and things like that, let alone training um, consistently. Hopefully they have. And then the other question is more of just the logistics side of it. You know, six feet apart, social distancing, how do you spot? How do you do this? How do you do that? So we're going to tackle both of those Mm -hmm. kind of major topics. I don't know where you want to start in terms of that. I think they're kind of two little separate buckets in terms of like the training itself and also then the logistics. I don't know if you have one that makes more sense to kick off with, but I'll let you kind of take over with the with the stage set. Sure. I think actually the best place to start uh, is, you know, more the big picture and just easing everybody's minds. I think I've noticed I've had a you know handful of questions from different coaches uh, about you know their specific you know circumstances and where they're at and what they're thinking about in terms of returning either to the field for practice to the weight room to some combination of the two um, and there is a you know large concern out there you know amongst those two kind of uh, you know concepts of how do I actually run these things safely and also what should I be doing to get kids back into the swing of things? And and everybody's a little concerned or hesitant and afraid of doing it the wrong way. So I think I, first thing is worth just, you know, kind of reminding everybody that, you know, while this feels very, very weird and new, um, a lot of it is, you know, the, the obstacles and questions that we traverse every day, every year. Um, and what I mean by that is, we always know that a kid that hasn't done anything on day one shouldn't go into the 100% effort, right? Right, we, and we know that. And to your point, like there's tons of kids like that, right? Like maybe they played a spring sport, maybe they didn't, maybe they just took the spring to take a break or anything like that, or really any time period, and they come back into the weight room for the first time. We said it almost facetiously last episode of like, you know, a lot of coaches would just immediately get those one rep maxes to see where their kids were at and then program and percentage. Right. Whereas whether it's, you know, the kid that just showed up cause he took four weeks off cause he's coming back from camp or anything else like that. Like how do we meet those kids knowing that they probably haven't done 
what they need to have done to be ready to get thrown in 100%. Right. And, and hopefully we've always done that, right? So I think, you know, just reminding everybody that this is not, you know, a brand new landscape. It's just about identifying who's done what, what groups of people have done what, and where you can start. Um, and always thinking about progression. And we talk about that all the time. So I think, you know, the, the main, there's two points to always just keep in mind for all of this, because really it just boils down to some common sense and, you know, personal preference given, you know, unique circumstances that you have as a coach. The first one is absolutely do not be the, the person that thinks that they need to make up for lost time. Um, you know, it's often, you know, when it comes to athletics specifically, it's like, oh man, we gotta, we gotta make up for the time we lost. Uh, I want to condition them day one. I want to do a conditioning test or man, we haven't touched a barbell in a long time. So we might, we must be weak. We need to get after it. Yeah. And there's a lot of coaches too, who I think will, and, and I've fallen victim to this myself of like, I want to set the tone early and have people know where I want our standards to be as a team and like, you know, kind of feel the hurt a little bit. And now it's almost counterintuitive at times to say like, well, let's run this test. And a conditioning test is a, a one that always comes to my mind is like, all right, let's run the conditioning test, set kind of the, the baseline expectation and kind of at the end of the, the practice or the, the session say like, you know, if you felt like you were kind of, it maybe means you didn't do what you're supposed to do. And now we have to really play catch up. Right. And I'm not saying that's right, but I'm saying, I think that's happened a lot of times in, in coaching to be able to say like, all right, let's use this as kind of an example. Like we would come back every, and I, I don't think it was a bad thing because we were at the college level and expectations were higher. We would come back from break. We were at home. We were supposed to be training on our own because when we got back, winter break, we were going to get thrown right into things. And we would do immediately basically two tests in the water. This is for swimming that were like, let's check in. Right. And, well, and that, that to me is where we we see a lot of people in the summer being like, what conditioning test can I do to kind of check in? Yeah. And I think really what needs highlighting is there is a difference between assessment and testing. Um, and if what you're saying is that as a coach, I'm going to have every, everybody come in and complete this, you know, this, given test that says you either pass or fail and it's at the level that I expect everybody at that's like, you know, next level athletics or next level conditioning or whatever, that's an assessment that is dangerous in a very large degree for athletes that are deconditioned, which is going to be a lot of them this day and age, yeah. but also relatively useless because it, all it's telling you is what's happened up to this point, um, where you should have a kind of a barometer of where kids are at based on your interaction with them in the past, or you are assuming lowest common denominator. Yeah. It's got to be one of the two. Either, I mean, I know of my 60 athletes that I still work with every single day, I know who's done X and who's not done. Yeah. And from there, I have a pretty good idea of what I can ask of athletes. Um, you know, for the most part, almost every one of them has done a pretty good amount of regular GPP and conditioning. So that's not something I'm super concerned about in terms of starting from scratch, Yeah. but they have not touched a barbell. And even though they've done resistance training, my absolute no, no would be to say, we're going to keep the maxes that you've had, what you think you used to be able to do. And we're going to pro program a strength session. That's as if we've never left. Sure, we so need to ease back into that. Whereas we might not need to ease back into conditioning. Other places might be flip-flopped. Other places might be, we're starting from ground zero and identifying that is the key and then progressing from there. And again, I think we've always done those things and now we're just hypersensitive to it. Yep. And honestly, 
If you're at all concerned or you're at all not sure, start from scratch. So that's great. And I think that's a good takeaway for any coach listening to this and a little bit kind of wary of what do I do next. If you're uncertain or you think, you know, the larger cohort probably hasn't been doing what we would have maybe hoped for them to be doing, which again, at the high school levels, we know is happening. You know, not everyone is doing three to four or five workouts a week and doing all the things that we're asking of them, whatever those expectations are, like you said. So starting from scratch isn't a bad thing, but you touched on sort of the kids that you do know are working out and you do know that they're training and you're not going to necessarily bring them right back into the maxes. Cause I think that's the question I've seen a lot of, of like, I know this cohort, let's talk about that group a little bit is work had, had been working hard. I've been seeing them work out. I've been watching them do it virtually. I know that they have that GPP or that baseline mm-hmm. that they are ready for the next step. But you mentioned, you're not going to just put them right back into the weightlifting program. So do you decrease their maxes right off the bat? Do you just say like, we're going to cut the numbers in half? Do you say we're going to just kind of feel it out over the first few days and do kind of trial and error? Like what's your way that you would return to play almost in terms of that like weight room expectation of the weights themselves? Yeah. And I will start this answer by saying probably for you know, the second of maybe a dozen times today, there's no wrong answer to this. It's just about understanding the circumstance and being smart um, and, you know, progressing things appropriately. There are a lot of different ways. You know, me personally, I know that the guys that are the 40 guys that are going to show up, you know, say July, whatever, for the first time in the weight room have done all of their workouts. Awesome. What I'm going to do for them is say, hey, we're going to do our normal summer program but every one of you is going to cut your max strength lift values in half. Like, I mean, in half or more. And throughout that day, my goal is to say, Hey, I want everything to feel super nice and light. Um, but you can then adjust your max in the literal moment during the workout, like cut your max in half. Your first warm up set was that like, did it feel like a feather and it's like you weren't doing anything? Maybe bump your max up 10 pounds. If that felt like, oh, that's that's a legitimate warm-up for me, just keep it as is. And we'll allow that to happen for like the next four weeks yeah. so that we can slowly build ourselves back up because you can gain it back pretty quickly. The idea is that you don't want to just go in on day one and, you know, ruin people because – you know, is there a whole lot of danger necessarily from the strength perspective? Maybe not unless you're going crazy high volume, but you might ruin training for the week or the next two weeks if everybody's cripplingly sore. Yeah. And then you're actually losing time rather than gaining, you know, maximizing your time. So you could do the whole, hey, we're going to all show up. I know you've been doing resistance training, but we haven't done max strength, you know, high heavy load. So let's cut it in half and let's build ourselves very slowly back up. Everything else we've been crushing. So don't be too concerned about that. We're just going to get get ourselves back. You could also say, look, I don't know that I trust, you know, the entire group having done what I've even asked them to, or I don't have guarantee that they have, like, I don't have insight into that. So what I'm going to do is take the next four weeks to literally build from the beginning. We're going to just go empty bar movements for a week. Then we're going to go light, moderate load, no percentages even considered the, the following week. Then we're going to go, you know, slightly increased load the following week. And then on the, the, the fourth week, we, you know, we build up to, you know, a heavy set of five and we use that to determine a new working max. Sure. And, and that's helpful, I think, for a lot of people because you hear cut it in half and you're like, all right, so the two, like the kid who has a max of 250 is going to bump it to 125. Yep. That sounds super light. 
it's worth it because and again it's cutting in half for before the day starts yeah if on his bench press that day his warm-up set of 45 pounds is wildly easy i might say hey keep it until you get into like the last set and then if it's like coach like i'm throwing the thing off my chest okay let's bump you up 20 pounds hey did that feel like a good set yeah. All right. Let's leave it there and see how we feel next week. Okay. And then on the alternative, like you said, there's no wrong answer. We can take it case by case basis. What about that group of kids that comes in and is like, no, 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 coach, I have, I have a bench press at my house. I've been doing bench. I've been doing the numbers. Do you say, obviously, you know, some you might trust more than others. Would you generally just go like, why don't we start at the 50 and let me see it happen a little bit? Y- yes. So I would, I would say, l- let me watch. Right. I, and I'm, I'm describing the kid who's like, I did the program at home. And I, I have my, watched him via Zoom do it. Right. So I know that he's not lying to me. But at the same time, this is not the time to do anything other than be conservative. And I don't mean that for like a, a safety, like, oh, I'm so concerned. It's more like this is the first time we've all been together again. Let me get a good gauge because after one week, we all know if you're in there training athletes day to day. After a week of working out, you have a really good temperature um, of, you know, each and every athlete and where they're at. And then Mm -hmm. from there, it depends on how personal or kind of autonomous you want things to be and how, you know, just regimented. If you want everybody to be on the exact same page, it's totally cool to say like, hey, everybody's at 50%. I don't care. Yeah. And maybe the kids that have worked out for, you know, three months with a bench press, they're just taking they're they're taking a couple maybe a couple of weeks of deload while you're building the rest of the group up to where they're at and then you go back in and, and, and it's like hey there's five kids and you might just have to sell my like, look I know you worked your 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 butts off um, we're just gonna let you kind of regroup recover you're not not working out because the rest of the workout is you know well intentioned and has volume and has intensity and all these other things we just want to make sure that we're smart about building the entire group up but you could also very much say like I'm gonna be highly highly individual. Every one of these kids, these kids did it. We can go and well, they can come to me and say like, this is what I've been doing. Yeah. Where can I start? Yeah. It just depends how much work you want to put in on an individual case by case basis. The, the thing I just want to hammer home is absolutely. You should not be the one. Like I've had this question a few times and I get the instinct. No, your first order of business on day one is not to get new maxes or test conditioning. We, that is just the worst use of time and the most concerning from a safety standpoint, because you are going in blind like the, the, the actual definition of doing that test means I don't know where kids are at, so I'm going to hammer them to see where they're at. Just a waste of time and also relatively dangerous. Yep. So um, just want to make sure that whatever you do, that, that main focal point that I mentioned first, you know, point A is just think about easing in. There is nothing more complicated than that. You can literally just think about it as how would I, you know, ramp kids up that I have never even seen a barbell, never even run, uh, you know, a sprint. How would I work them over the next four weeks that we all get on the same page? Okay. And and so you talk, we've talked kind of about the two kind of tail ends of the spectrum, like the core lifts, kind of the, the main movements, like we talked about in terms of cutting those weights and also some of the like sprinting and conditioning that And I know those two things are separate, but sometimes get tied into the end of a workout. Mm -hmm. I do want to talk a little bit about the middle 
because you mentioned volume and you mentioned the amount that they're doing. And we've talked about soreness in the past. Like, yeah. is does that get cut down too, just on like the the hopes of making sure that like you don't throw it all in in the first week and kids are like crutching around? Or is the middle of that workout, like the accessory movements and some of the other stuff, does that kind of stay relatively the same than it would in like a different program? Or do you just, again, have to kind of be, be smart and take it case by case? Yeah, the answer is your, your final statement there. And it, just remember that it's all tied together. So if you have a group that has put in, let's say, our platform at home performance program, they've done a lot of volume. I'm not at all concerned about their, their volume. Uh, what I mean by volume is in the most colloquial sense, maybe like moderate load for relatively yep. uh, you know higher uh, reps. But if somebody hasn't done training, you wouldn't throw them into heavy volume to begin with. You would ease them in. Yep. Um, now, that is a product of two things, intensity, a.k.a. loading. So if you've cut everybody's maxes in half and you happen to be somebody that programs um, – you know, rep ranges and intensities based on, you know, maxes, you already have a built-in mechanism that says, hey, they might all do, you know, eight reps each of these lunges, but, you know, this athlete's only going to be using 15s because their max squat has been cut in half and that brings their, you know, 10% dumbbell value down to whatever. Um, But at the same time, again, if you are somebody that's saying, well, let's just, let's get all on the same page. If you're doing a GPP program, which we are going to create here for our users, they can just kind of say, hey, everybody's starting at zero. We're going to work you up to a really great point in four weeks. Week one is going to have less overall volume via intensity and reps than week two. Week three will have more than two. Week four will have more than three. You know, basically, I've seen a lot of things on Twitter, which is great. Come in operating at 50% of everything and add 10 to 20% each week. If you do that, you're going to be fine. And honestly, you can do that in a lot of different ways. Like I said, if you say, I have a program that we've always used, fine. Go to that program, cut weights and reps in half from the first week. Then take that and go to the second week and cut it by one third. Then cut it by one quarter. Then cut it by one fifth. Then you're back up to what you would normally be doing. Um, And I think that's just, again, hammering home. Think about it in terms of just easing back in, progressively going from something that you know is in no way, shape, or form going to hurt or detract from future training, hurt athletes or detract from their training future, and be okay with one week that you get under your belt. And then very quickly, you can build up. We all know. Start week zero, week four. You you can go a long way, um, and especially with athletes. So, you know, not worrying about starting at, at, uh, you know, at ground zero is worth just hammering, just – be okay with that. That's yeah. totally fine. Sure. And you can do it in groups separately. Like maybe all my freshmen are those kids and I'm going to put them on a whole different program. Maybe you just use the at-home remote performance program because it is just moderate loading, no complex barbell movements, and it's started that week one and you're building them up over four weeks to get back into barbell. Yeah, so. and I think one advantage of this, and we're going to get into the guidelines in a bit, um, to all of this is like it's not like – many people's weight rooms are going to be packed to the brim and you're going to have a tough time navigating the 60 odd athletes that are walking in at one singular time. 
And I think that's almost an advantage. Now, I know I've seen people saying that they're going to spread out onto a field and do stuff mm-hmm. there. And I think we still can apply those values of like not running kids into the ground those first few weeks, even if we're just on the field doing stuff there. But like the idea of people reentering the weight room, and this is what we're talking about of like that reentry, the return to play, is that you're going to have limited numbers. And you're going to have like probably not that packed weight room. So you can almost probably identify and individualize if you feel like it's important or get that, get those separate groups. Because often you'd say, I have 60 kids. I I can't possibly navigate having 10 kids over here, 10 kids over Mm -hmm. there. Like I want to have some structure. It's absolute mayhem. Like it's not going to be mayhem. Like you're not going to be busting at the seams. Right. For the most part, there's going to be maybe a few. Oh, absolutely. But you know what I mean? Like that's what it's going to look like. So to your point, you you have the advantage of being able to say what makes the most sense for this group or that group or if I really feel like, you know what, I have nine kids that need like that like basics and I have one kid who crushed it, like let me let that kid go. You have that opportunity probably because there's going to be more space in your way. You have more oversight uh, because of the, you know, teacher to coach to athlete ratio, um, which is a great segue because, you know, I think, well, like I said, the, the, the first pillar to just remind yourself of and, and know that any decision you make is a good one so long as it fits into that first pillar of just make sure that we're easing and progressing kids back in, um, not demanding of them day one what we think they should have been able to do. Um, it's finding a way to, to progress. The other pillar is just f- listen to and then do your best to adhere to the guidelines thrown down by state, um, you know, government, state athletic, uh, you know, committees, as well as the national guidelines put out by places like the NFHS. Because if you have your goal of getting kids to just, you know, ease back in physically, which that's really all that's as simple as that. And you have the like, well, our restrictions are X. Then you formulate your plan. And if it's, Hey, we can't be in a weight room, and you know I don't have any uh, confidence that everybody's been doing anything. I had a coach ask me that. He's like, I think that's where I would start. I'd go out onto the field. I'd do two weeks of very easy, gradual buildup of, you know, conditioning, some light body weight movement, etc. Good two weeks of GPP, even before a GPP in the weight room. Then you transition in the weight room, and you either maybe have. The, the requirements that are you know, no more than 10 people or, um, you know, if you're in phase three already, it's no more than 50. Like you can actually pretty quickly get into groups where, hey, these 10 to 15 athletes are always going to work out at this hour. Then the next hour is this hour. The next hour is this hour, this group, this group, this group. And you can maybe you schedule that by like kids that have done stuff, kids that haven't grades. Uh, experience before this all went down in terms of what was in the way room. Maybe you're of an educational group, an experienced group, and an autonomous group. Um, and I think just taking the two pieces and then finding a marriage between the two, to be honest with you, other than being different from what we normally do, like other than our normal routine being kind of disrupted, it's actually easier than going into a summer completely being in control of all of the variables because you have to decide everything. Right. Now you have things to say like, have to do this, have to do that. What's the most efficient way? And honestly, if you just put, map it out, put it on a whiteboard, like I have to abide by these things. I want to think about these things. Training, what's a good four week schedule? And there's no miracle program. There's no miracle transition. It's just finding the best solution um, that fits both of those, those concerns. Sure. Absolutely. Okay. And then I think that's a great kind of 
place to almost transition, if you will, into some of those guidelines because that yeah. becomes the next part of it because there are some safety concerns about even things like spotting and other stuff like yeah. that that we should really dive into. So I think if you're listening to this and following along, the first half was really about like just kind of the idea of the, the physical side of it, getting people back in. Philosophy in general. Philosophy in general. Now we're going to transition to really kind of talking about what you mentioned and alluded to in the NFHS guidelines and just guidelines that we've been seeing kind of across the board of what states are being suggested, if not mandated, to follow. Um, there are different phases. I don't know if you want to break them down phase by phase. If you want to dive into some of the specifics, what makes the most sense there? Because I think I do want to touch on some of those things that we are going to get into in terms of spotting and things like that, um, because I think they're important for coaches to understand, like, how, again, maintaining safety of all my athletes. Yeah, and what are my options? Um and I think the specifics are actually even, you know, the specific questions and maybe caveats are more important or worth diving into than the, the actual like outline of these phases. The reason I say that is um, I think first and foremost, if you are in charge of athletes at all, whether it be practice or um, training, your first priority for your own selfish interest should be to go out and educate yourself on what are the national recommended guidelines like the NFHS, Google NH, NFHS guidelines for return to play post COVID-19. Familiarize yourself with that. And then also you need to be absolutely on top of your state government specific and state athletic governing body specific guidelines because every state will come up with their own. NFHS has phases, but every state's going to identify which one we're in at different times. Everyone's going to modify those slightly. So you need to be very, very aware of what is being asked of you. And I only say that because you don't want to be the one that gets pointed out as having not followed the quote-unquote socially acceptable, socially recommended guidelines for your area. Yeah, and I think the other part of it too that I've seen coaches really share some good points is like, you know, much like you don't want to be the one that's wrong, like you want to hold the standard for your kids because you want that. You, this is your opportunity to have them back. And yeah. We all felt the you kind of ruin it, right? We all kind of felt the pain of not being able to see our kids not being able to work with it. And then we saw personal trainers, not all of them, but a few kind of sneaking in workouts. And we yeah. saw kids working out on their own and, and working out in groups where they maybe shouldn't have. Like we're being given the opportunity or the, the privilege, if you will, to get our kids back. We want to make sure that we do it the right way so then it doesn't get kind of snatched out from under us again. Because the worst thing that could happen is you get two or three weeks in and they say, you know what, this really isn't working out because – you, you're not following this. You're not, this. you're not cleaning this the way we told you to, or you're not keeping kids separated that we're supposed to. An admin walked by the windows and saw X, Y, or Z. Like we do want to be mindful and careful of all of those little things. And we can't get into every nuance of state and detail, but I think that's an important kind of launching point. That's fair. Absolutely. And even just for your own, like I said, uh, you know, self-interest, if you want to have a season in the fall, you need to abide by all the things that the state is expecting because in the world that we're living in right now, like it or not, if those things get broken, there will be a public backlash. Yep. Um, and you might lose what you were hoping to gain and what you feel like you've gotten back. So just be careful and, and really understand in a very significant way what's being asked of you yep. um, as a coach because you had, it's a privilege to be back. 
if we, you know, think of it as a right, you know, we're going to be in a, a tough spot. It's a privilege to be back. And there are a lot of things that, you know, we can do to make sure we do it the right way. And honestly, as we'll talk about some of these very specific considerations to different, um, you know, universal uh, expectations in weight rooms and on fields, et cetera, it's really not going to be that, it's not that hard. We can yep. get it done. Um, and I think we're worth going into some of those because I've already been asked a few of those questions. Like you said, um, you know, how do you maintain social distancing in a weight room where you're asked to be doing, you know, lifts? Yeah. So uh, let's, let's do that one. Cause I think there's also, it's, it's even drawn out differently in different phases. So one of the questions is like, you know, I'm, I, for the safety perspective, I want to, for those lifts that typically call for a spotter, I want to have a spotter and I can't. So before we even talk about like some of the logistics in the later phases, you know, spotting from the side as opposed to spotting from mm -hmm. the back, all of those different types of things. There are some of those initial phases that say like no spotting. So the question is, is like, well then do I, we already talked about cutting weights, but do I cut weights and increase reps? And I think that's when you want to talk about. Well, yeah, I think this whole idea of if, again, it happens in different phases, you know, phase one of NFHS says you can't even do like a, a, a an actual strength lift. I think th what they're basically trying to get at is more the, the, the point is we don't want to have kids in close proximity touching the same thing, AKA spotting. In one place they say free weight exercise that requires spotter cannot be conducted. And then resistance training should be emphasized as body weight. Theoretically speaking, that's not resistance training. I think the idea is that we just want to one, be smart easing kids in. We're not going to throw heavy weight on them right away. We want to GPP them up. Um, but the, the idea of spotting is a really unique one. The first thing I'll say is before we all freak out and say, well, well then it's not even, why, why are we even in the weight room? You know, we can't spot then we can't do strength. I'm a big proponent of the only lift that should be spotted by high school kids in a high school weight room is the bench press. Um, why do I say that? If you have, you know, good straps, good supports, or an open floor, bailing a back squat in my 12 year experience is safer than having a high school kids try spot. to lurch it up. Yeah, it's, I see. yeah, it gets ugly. Cause then you get two kids trapped under a bar versus one. Um, and they're, they're trapped rather than the bar being free and getting, you know, yep. being able to bail it. Um, you should never, ever, uh, spot a front squat. I am very sick of seeing uh, Olympic lifts spotted. That should never happen anyway, because that's more dangerous even outside of this world. Yeah. Um, and same thing with overhead, right? You should have the same straps and supports at different elevations or the ability to drop from the top and, and everything else. So bench press is really one of those things where it's weird because it's the flip side where you should always have a spotter. Um, and so people have asked, hey, what about the bench press? Can't do um, spotting. Well. First, again, make sure you have a really good idea of where you're at because at later stages, the bench press is allowed to be spotted from the sides because you're not right on top of somebody. Um, so make sure that you, that's really something that you have to consider yourself with. And if not, fine. Know the answer is not to bench press solo at lighter reps and higher weight because either you are not reaching potential failure in which case you're not really gaining much from doing those, um, or you are reaching potential failure, in which case you need a spotter. I don't care if it's three reps at 90% or 15 reps at 70, your last rep might trap you. Yeah. And I think it's important, like we've failed push-ups before, 
Right? right. You, at some point you reach a you know mechanical failure and you just can't do it. And that's the purpose of training. So if spotting is not a possibility, find something that is the equivalent of being able to bail a lift. Dumbbell bench is a phenomenal alternative. Dumbbell floor press, phenomenal alternative. And the beauty is now that you're in a weight room, hopefully you have a whole lot more dumbbells than kids had at home. So now, I mean, you can load that up for a couple of weeks. And then the follow-up question is like, all right, so what weights should I use? Really don't need to think about it that you can, you can go in and programming it if you want to spend the time. Personally, if we are required to not use the bench press because of social distancing, I'd say, Hey guys, I'm not changing the workout. It says bench press. It says this percentage at this, um, you know, this rep. I'm, I want you all for the next four weeks to only ever do dumbbell bench press. If it says five reps, get me any weight that'll get you four to six reps that are challenging. That's it. Maybe I write it on whiteboard, but I don't do anything else. Um, and that's all I really need. Yeah. Um, and I think that by itself is all you would really need to adjust. And then this is one of those examples where it seems like it's like, oh God, there's a lot of wrinkles here and how are we going to get done what we want to get done? That's a quick and easy fix and all the rest of your lifts are fine. Yep. Great. And that's a good one because I think a lot of people have just immediately been like, no spotters. What are we going to do? And right. you know, that bench press is kind of the one like you just mentioned is that really the one that you kind of just have to think about and say, all right, well, we're going to sub it or we're going to do something differently, but we're not just going to say we're going to cut the let cut me make percentage and let me make one stress. caveat if you've never taught bailing now is not the time to yeah. do it under heavy load so i just want to make that very very clear if a kid's never bailed a back squat before the first time he does it, it shouldn't be under his you know 90% uh, for three reps sure um, so hopefully you've already you know built that in kids know how to do that if you are reliant on spotting you guys are masters of that then is when you need to start thinking about alternatives. And the alternatives are the same thing we've been doing at home anyway. Load up the hell out of a, a goblet squat. Go to um, something that you can bail um, safely. You know, safely without even knowing you know, the, the technique behind a barbell bail. So just you know, keep that in mind. Okay, great. So let's move on because um, I know there's probably some other things you want to get to. Mm-hmm. Within the guidelines themselves, is there anything else like – because each state's going to be a little bit different and everybody's going to be at different phases, what else do you kind of want to just dive into so that like people at least understand like maybe not so much like the, every little detail, but like the best way to navigate like kind of going from phase to phase? I don't know. Like, Yeah, I think um, one big thing is masks, right? So um, NFHS, along with many states, have basically said wear a mask all the time if you're on public or if you're around people. And in their guidelines, they said throughout all phases, you should always wear a mask um, in competition, in games, uh, in the weight room. And this is where I, I, you know, I would just caution everybody to, to be smart. You got to play the game. You got to be safe, a.k.a. you got to do the things that, you know, the experts have said will, you know, reduce the possibility of spread. And again, for your own selfish interest. But at the same time, one thing to keep in mind is there is some concern over extremely high intensity exercise while wearing a mask. So maybe if you are required indoors in your weight room to wear a mask, you only perform things that operate at less than maximal aerobic intensity. If you are desperate need of oxygen during a thing, maybe that's a finisher, maybe that's your conditioning, maybe that's whatever, 
do that outside of the weight room where, where masks don't have to be worn and you keep six feet of distance. Um, if you are in the weight room requiring of a mask, I, I, I would just caution people not to go super hard because there are no proven risks, but I think there's enough concern over what it means to be breathing heavily into an, uh, you know, a mask that you can't control what type of masks kids are wearing. Something might be extremely restrictive of their breathing. And that's where you get into even more trouble by trying to force things in a weird situation. Um, so first and foremost, follow the rules. If masks are expected to be worn, the last thing you want to do is say, Hey kids, when they're in the weight room, it doesn't matter. I don't care. Um, then as you said, an admin walks by Well, now you guys are all gone. Um, you can't use the weight room anymore. Um, but at the flip side of that is don't also blindly adhere to, well, we wear a mask at all times. We don't need to change what we do in the weight room. We're just going to wear a mask during it. Strength and stuff, not, not a concern. Maybe it's uncomfortable and annoying, but who cares? It's worth getting in the gym. If you want to do something where kids are going <gasps> to do it outside, you can move equipment outside, uh, do it outside, do it separated, do it on a field, get in pods, get in groups, social distance, forget the mask and then bring the masks back when you guys get back together. Sure, awesome. All right, and I think that's a good one too to just touch on and be, be wary of and, and think about. Anything else along the lines of like the the guidelines and things like that, facility cleaning? Cleaning, cleaning's a big one I've been asked already a bunch. Yeah, like do you have suggestions, recommendations? Is it just like go out and buy a ton of wipes and hand sanitizer and everything else or is it, you know, an extra step even past that. What are you, what are you kind of looking at there for just in terms of cleaning? Yes. So this is a big one from a logistics standpoint. Um, first I'll address though. I've had a couple people ask more. They, they were very concerned about how cleaning was actually going to be the thing that derails training entirely because they're going to spend more time cleaning than, you know, working out and they're only gonna have short windows X, Y, and Z. First, I would say, take a deep breath. I promise you, I've done it in uh, public gyms, private gyms, personal gyms. Wiping things down before and after use is very easy. It takes almost no time once you get in the habit of it. It should probably be part of your routine anyway. Yeah. And this maybe is a good time to learn and and get kids to understand that. Um, And I would also, I would say, you know, don't underestimate the fact that kids have been living in this world now for three months. If you tell them that like, hey, everything needs to be clean, they've probably have been doing it at home. They've probably been doing it if and when they've ever gone anywhere. Their parents are probably all over them about it. If you say, this is what we do before and after every you know pieces of equipment is used, you wipe it, you wipe it down after, here are the wipes, here's what we do. The kids will buy into that. Don't be concerned about that. What you need to be concerned about is being prepared day one. What I mean by that is, We tried to buy wipes for our office gym like a month and a half ago. Did not exist because of this. It's like the toilet paper phenomenon. So if you're already looking at a July 4th, um, you know, post July 4th start, if you're looking at Monday, if you don't have wipes in, in hand now for the entire duration, get out and get it done. Go out now, find it on Amazon, any good, um, gym sanitation wipe is fine. Um, buy them in bulk and have them readily available. Uh, From there, like, you know, using them is easy. Anything that gets touched gets wiped. Yeah. Um, And you should uh, adhere to whatever the requirements are that are, you know, like I said, mandated by your state governing body or or your school or whatever it is that you've adopted as a group. Um, And then I think beyond that is you as the coach 
need to be more intimately familiar with and in control of than in previous years, the facilities cleaning as a whole, right? So custodial staff, um, support staff, anybody that is involved in that, you should be pretty um, you know, familiar with and involved in. Yeah. Like, hey, when are these going to get done? And I'll, I'll schedule around that. When are you guys able to come in and clean? What kind of cleaning are we going to do? We'd love to. This is what we use. This is the floor surfaces that we use. These are elevated surfaces. These are the priorities. Um, hey, you can't come in on X days. We'll go outside on those days so that it is clean we by the next day. Like, yeah. That's one of those things from a logistics standpoint that I think is the biggest um, hurdle. Not from like it's going to be difficult, but it requires communication, which we're you know all more or less notoriously uh, bad at um, when it comes to getting everybody on the same page. So be very, very cognizant of what the regular schedule is, what the new schedule is going to be, what their process is, days, times, how that fits into your scheduling. That should probably happen before you even think about when kids in, come in and, and, and when. Um, it should be also kind of thought about with regards to how frequently you schedule people. Maybe it's 45 minutes instead of an hour and you spend 15 minutes doing some, some light wiping as well just to make sure kids have done it. Um, maybe you end earlier in the day so that those staff can come in and clean um, so that they're not coming in late at night and everything. So I think cleaning is a big one. And again, it seems like it's like this whole new thing. It's probably something we should have all been doing forever. You want to avoid staff. Have you ever had a staff infection break out amongst your team? I have. <laughs> it's freaking terrible. And it'll open your eyes to, hey, we should be cleaning everything down. Um, it should also mean proper footwear. No bare feet. Let's minimize. Hey, now is not the time to go shirtless, right? We don't want your your sweaty body rubbing up on any possible thing, yep. right? Let's wear appropriate clothing in the gym and just minimize the things that we then have to clean um, so that we can be more efficient quicker and get more done. Awesome. So that's kind of those common sense things a little bit that you got to then have everybody else kind of buy into and get a part of. I think a big part of it is probably before you even get in the weight room so you're not like running around chasing your tail trying to clean things as you go that the kids are on the same page as that as well like you said a lot of them are probably already being told a lot of that at home okay anything else that i've missed or is that a pretty good summary i'm, I'm peeking at your sheet i see a couple other things circled but no i i think we're, we're pretty good um i think my my major my major point is it seems like there's a lot of weird things going on and People are probably doubting themselves as to what they think they can do, what should they do, how should they do it. And I would really strongly urge people to not doubt yourself. There are just a, supple, a couple simple facts. We haven't had athletes for a while, so don't go crazy. Ease kids back in. You know your athletes. You know what they've been doing. You know what they haven't been doing. Um, just like day one of, of practice in the fall for a football team shouldn't be let's go two hours of 100% because that's probably not feasible or safe, same thing applies now. Secondarily, there's a lot of new logistics being required, but they're not all that hard. And if you just look at it and say, okay, if these are the restrictions, what are my answers? Look at them individually. Like we said with spotting, oh God, spotting is going to ruin it. How, how could we ever do a program? Right. Well, well spotting is only really required for one lift. What could we replace that lift for for four weeks? And, and again, remember in two weeks, in three weeks, in five weeks, in seven weeks, the landscape will change dramatically. So do not do anything other than operate within the like, I know this today. 
I know my athletes are like this today. I know these are my requirements today. Let's do that for the next two weeks. And then we'll regroup. We'll rethink it. Yeah. You, you, maybe you're wrong for a week. You're like, ah, I went too easy. Okay. You go a little bit harder the next week. Right. And I think that's a big thing is like, all right, like, you know, maybe I didn't have to bring or haul all of this stuff out onto yeah. the turf. I only need to bring this stuff out or anything else like that. Like take it step by step, figure out what's going to make the most sense and just keep it in that mind that like this is new to everyone right? and not doubt yourself I think is awesome. So I think that's a great place to stop. Sure. Um, you know, as people do get back into this, we know there are going to be a lot of questions. We know that there are going to be a lot of things to navigate. Hopefully we can start this larger conversation to know that, you know, you should feel comfortable if you feel like I'm taking the right steps, I'm being cautious, and I'm easing people back in. You're probably trending in the right direction. Like Coach Brez said a few times, there really is no wrong answer so long as you line those things up. Yeah, just identify what the, the needs are, identify the people that you're working with, and identify the things that you need to consider. If you water that down, you'll, you'll find that there aren't that many things that you need to tweak or that there are that even that many options. Right. You, can, you can just get done what you want to get done. and. There is no wrong answer. Um, so it's just really you're... allowed us to take a probably closer look at what makes the most sense for people's overall well-being and safety. Cleaning things down, wiping things down, we're all like, okay, we should have been doing that. Being safe, being cautious of kids that haven't been lifting or doing things for a while, we probably all should have been doing that. Like all of those things have kind of allowed us to, everyone to reset and like – yeah. Put a look at it. I think what's really great too is it's this whole thing has been a an excellent test and this is no exception of the ability to take a step back, take a deep breath and take a look at the actual facts rather than getting wrapped up in the sensational, even your own internal like, oh, this is going to ruin summer workouts. This is going to do this. I can't do that. Like take a deep breath, step back. Like we can do a lot and there are some easy answers to some simple questions that we need to answer and that's totally cool and the beauty is so everybody else is dealing with very similar things your situation isn't unique as you think it is yeah so if you have something that you're just like i'm stumped reach out to somebody that you know is doing the same thing call us send us an email hey have you heard anybody dealing with this yep. have you heard anybody dealing with that what was their solution did it work is it worth trying um, do you have any you know suggestions because I think the community aspect of this is it goes a long way um, because if everybody just shares some experience some knowledge you know people that go through it in June help out the people in July yep um, I think that that'll all that'll all play out just fine Absolutely. Great. With that, we are going to wrap it up. As I mentioned at the beginning of this podcast, if you made it all the way through, this is our last kind of Coach Brez and Doug podcast sitting at the table talking a little bit more like EDU, figuring it out. Um, the next time we're back at this table, Coach Brez will be a father probably. And Wow. There you go. <laughs> and wow. lots of other things will have changed from all of this in COVID. So hope all of our coaches and teachers out there that have been listening have kind of kept up and enjoyed it as we we love the feedback that we've gotten along the way. We're very thankful for you guys kind of tuning in and, and watching us navigate these first 80-odd episodes of, of figuring everything out. And it's been a lot of fun. It's been a lot of fun, and we appreciate all the coaches, teachers contributing. So if I can just echo what Coach Brez just said, you know, if you have anything, you need it, like – we just view this podcast as a one kind of branch of the community of coaches and teachers. So reach out to us with anything that you need. Thanks again for always listening. And as always, it's always in pursuit of better.